you. All right, let's go to Scripture first. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. Peter continues on with his letter here, and he's encouraging uh, the readers, the church, those who he's witnessing to and those who he's presiding over to. It's an exhortation to being humble, to watchfulness, and to be careful with sin. In verse 12, we read in 1 Peter chapter 4, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. We're taking a look at a Peter this morning. Remember that Christ gave him the name of Cephas, which means rock in Aramaic, which is translated to Peter in the Greek. Jesus calls Peter in the book of John chapter 1, verse 42. If you remember Andrew, his brother, brought him to Christ, and he sees the Messiah. And Jesus knew Peter before he ever even saw Jesus. He said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, thou shalt be called Cephas. And what a relationship they built together as two wonderful friends, even though Peter knew that Christ was his Savior. Also, we see later that Peter is called the rock. Later on, we see in Scripture, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 16, he's referred to as the rock. And he fled with Jesus to Caesarea Philippi when Jesus was withdrawing himself from the hordes of the crowds and the riots and the things that were going on, and they sought to kill him. They went up to Caesarea Philippi, and Christ asked this incredible question. Whom do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, he already asked the question, who do they say that I am out on the street? What's the scuttlebutt out there? And the disciples, they, re, they came back and they say, well, some say that you're Elijah the prophet, some say that you're Moses, other Jeremiah the prophets. Then he says, who do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? And Peter comes back with the greatest response, and he says, thou art the Christ of the living God. Thou art the Christ not a Christ. See, like Moses and some of the old prophets, they were a Christ. They were a messenger. They were, they were not um, the, the Messiah, but they were messengers of Christ. So that's basically what the terminology of Christ means. But when you talk about the Christ, that separates Christ into a position of a prophet amongst his own self, in a class by himself. And what we're saying here is declaring that he's God. And that's exactly what Peter was doing here. And so Christ came back and he said in Matthew 16, 16, And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Christ goes on to say, Peter, thou art the rock. And upon this rock will I build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he has a question this morning. 
Have you ever seen the gates of hell ever stop the church of Jesus Christ down through the ages? It might be small, it might be four or five people, it might be 10 or 15 people, but Christ said the gates of hell will not prevail against it, and Christianity to this day has never been eradicated. Although it's a real big objective to many, it's never been eradicated, and Christ was perfectly right about that. Pastor. He said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Right. That's right. Uh, I, I remember a quote from a pastor. Lisa and I was talking, we were talking about this this morning, and he made a very, I thought, a very, very profound quote. If you have a base feeling or a base way that you approach God, he will have a very base way of approaching you. And never forget the importance of worshiping the Lord on the Sabbath day as he's commanded it. It was Peter who preached to the masses in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, following the Lord's ascension to heaven. And his message, we see it recorded in Acts 2, where he gave the gospel of Jesus Christ. He walked with Jesus through his whole ministry. You could find him with Jesus on the shores of Galilee, walking with him in Capernaum, going up with Jesus to the Mount of Olives, or just trying to walk on water to go to Jesus. And what happened when he looked down, when he took his eyes off of Jesus? That's what really happens to us when we take our eyes off of Jesus. We just sink. We really do. We try to take on life ourselves, and we try to handle things without prayer and without Bible reading and try to encouraging ourselves in the Lord, and we wind up lost. And that's what happened with Peter. And he, looked his, he lifted his eyes up, and Christ, you imagine probably, maybe even a tiny smirk on his face saying, Peter, I told you, keep your eyes on me. As soon as he does, in the middle of the ocean or the sea, he walks right up on top of the water, comes right to Christ. He would go with Jesus. He would be alone with him in the garden. He would sleep with the other disciples. And as we looked at last Wednesday night in prayer meeting, Peter was the one that did something very interesting. In When we were reading in the book of John, chapter 18, and what was that? He wanted to defend Jesus. Does anybody remember what he did? He wanted to defend him. Peter said, I'm going to stand up and make sure that nobody hurts Jesus. So what did he do? Thank you. Excellent. Perfectly said. He drew his sword and he cut off a man's ear. What was the man's name? Anybody remember? Malchus. And then what did Christ do? He did. He healed him, put his ear right back where it was. Incredible miracle. What an incredible thing. It's like we were talking about Wednesday evening when that miracle happened. You almost have to wonder why Scripture didn't just stop there. And everybody declare that Jesus is God and be done with it. Have you ever seen a man take a severed ear and put it on somebody's head and heal it? Do you know how many years of reconstructive surgery and work that that takes to take something like that that would look so hideous and he'd be bleeding? Can you imagine what that looked like? And when we look at John 18, we were looking Wednesday night, after he did that and he healed the man's ear, there was not one smidgen of compassion for what the Lord did for that man, not even from the disciples. They still went on and they took him and they detained him and took him right in. Look at what he did, Pastor. Yes. Right. Kept on going. 
He says, I am, another I am statement. Three words came out of the Lord's mouth. I am he. And a whole maniple of soldiers fell backwards. <laughs> right a few verses before this happened with Malchus, actually, in John 18. And, oh, there's, and, and John says, this is infallible proof in the book of John that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. Lisa. Right. right oh you know the question remains if Christ came back even today and he performed the same miracles would anybody care I think that's a riveting question that we need to ask would anybody even recognize it I mean what he did was so incredible we can't even begin I mean when you read it and you love Jesus it grows in your heart and you picture it like what did that look like Lisey That's a great point. Can show my sons the, 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 the miracles of Moses so that they would believe. And he said, they already have it. How did he say they had it? They had it in Scripture. And if they wouldn't read Scripture, then what good is it? If your Bible sits on your shelf and it collects dust, what good is it? And it has power. Oh, it has power. Teresa. Right. 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 Well, that's a very factual statement because if someone did claim to be him now, we would have to label them as an imposter because Christ said, "I will return, and you will know." I'm <laughs> right. And there's a lot of imposters out there now, aren't there? There's quite a bit of imposters, and that really gets us past her. Well, Jesus said, as the lightning that shines from one end of the heaven to the other end of the heaven, that's how it will be when he comes back. And it won't be this guy just in this corner says, I'm Christ. That's right. Everybody will know when he comes back. Right. And I, after we, you and I went to a certain funeral several months ago, and you said to me, I, I've, I've talked to a couple people about it because I never forget it, and you told me, you said, as many will be deceived. There will be false prophets out there. That's riveting because they're there, and you want to know what's more riveting? Their parking lots are full this morning. Right now, these false prophets, their parking lots are full because they're using Christ as a marketing tool. And it's a lot of entertainment and it's a lot of bread and circuses out there. And we're here for the truth. And so what is Peter talking about, about being strange? Strange days indeed. <laughs> strange. 
What is he talking about, the Christian life being strange? This is the same Peter that would deny Christ three times. And he loved Jesus. John chapter 21, verses 15 to 17. I want to show you first this relationship with Jesus. And I think that the number three is very important here. And this is how Christ comes back to Peter after Peter had denied him three times. John chapter 21, verses 15 to 17. In fact, and someone can read that. And whoever gets that, go ahead and read it. We're all going to work here together here. John 21, 15 to I love that. This is Christ. This is Jesus himself going to Peter after everything that happened. Death, he resurrected from the dead, seen over 500 people. Peter had denied him thrice. The disciples left, and he's on the shores, and he says to Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, of course I do. Why are you asking me that? And he was even grieved. Of course I do. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, three times. You have to wonder if that was three times because he denied him three, quite, three, three times and he had to remind him three times. In, Hebrew, in, in Hebrew, Hebraism, something that's said to the superlative degree three times means you better open your ears and shut your mouth and listen. <laughs> holy, 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 you see that in Isaiah chapter 6. Three times Christ says to Peter, are you sure you love me? Are you sure you love me? And he's asking us that too. Are you sure? Pastor. Amen. Right. 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 So in other words, you're saying that the whole council should be preached. Amen. I never doubted that. The whole council. Well, what does Peter mean here? We see here that the epistle of Peter in chapter 4 is making a transition from Peter's encouragement to the scattered elect being separated by not partaking in the wickedness of sins and not being drawn into current community conscience. He finishes this, for, this, this portion here, chapter 4, and he turns our attention to the glory of God here. And we see that Peter's laboring and showing us how as Christians that we are strangers. We are strange, peculiar, different from the world, and for that, we're in the line of fire. We're called to suffer and to not think it's strange. You can see the opening. Look in 1 Peter chapter 1, just verse 1. Look at, what, look at what's how the, 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 the chapter, the book actually opens up. 
Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He's saying, here are the strangers. This, this is written to the Christians. They're the ones that are even back then were basically, they were the, they were the, the uh, deviation from the norm. And Peter is laboring and showing us how Christians are strange. And he, it's very interesting that Peter uses the term strange more than once in his epistles. That's kind of like a common thread. Lisey. Right. Right. That's a great point. Well, I have to, from that, you've just brought up a, a remembrance. I didn't even write it down, but I wanted to make sure I said it. It goes back to Pastor Olson's petition on tracks. And the other day, I'm walking up at the Safeway. We talked about this a little also Wednesday night. I go up to Safeway, and there's a young man. He's working behind the counter. And I wasn't thinking of anything but just getting out of there. I had a problem with the fuel pump. I had to get back to work, and I, was, I had a lot going on. And I go up there, and the fuel pump, I wasn't even going to walk inside because I was just going to use my card, stick it in, get the gas, and get out of there. Well, the fuel pump's not working, so I have to go and talk to this young fella. I go in. This young fella is about probably 20, 21 years old. He's wearing black, and he's, got his, uh, like a, he's working, and he has like a tank top on, and his arms are filled with all of these tattoos. And they looked to me like they were gang tattoos because there were some inscri- inscriptions on them and stuff. So I just went in, and I just looked at him, and he, he says uh, out of nowhere, he goes, well, how was it? He goes, how's your day today, sir? And I said, well, good, how's your day? He goes, well, it's much better now. It's kind of like open up like that. He goes, I just moved to Maryland. And I said, oh, where'd you come from? Spanish Harlem. He said, things are falling apart up in New York. He said, it's horrible up there. And he said, I'm moving. A lot of us are moving down into northern Maryland to get out of New York. And um, I said, well, how do you like it down here? He goes, I love it. I've had great jobs. He said, I've had more jobs because he can speak Spanish and American. And I said, well, I said, um, well, this is, where, this is where the word strange comes in or anomalytical <laughs> deviation of the norm. And I said, well, you're down here. I said, well, what are you doing on Sundays? And he goes, oh, you know, I'm just uh, busy. Yeah, I said, you need to find a good church. So I said, why don't you come down to church? He said, uh-uh. He goes, no, I'm not into that. He goes, I'm not into religion. And I said, neither am I. I said, all religion to me is, is a way of hedging your bets on how to not miss heaven on a technicality. I said, you need Jesus Christ. And the truth is, is I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but me. He looked at me like, What? What? So I said, well, if you change your mind, I'd love, love for you to come. And I left. And I'm like, well, that didn't work out too well. Because he, he wasn't saying a whole lot. So I went out in my car, opened up the back. Thank the Lord I had my computer bag. And there was a stack of tracks that Pastor Olson gave me that were in Spanish. One, uh, this was your life. And I went back in and I gave him one of those tracks and they were in Spanish. And he looked at it and I said, listen, you might not like it, but you're never going to find that track boring. And he started reading it. And I left. 
So who knows what's going to happen? But it was his expression and his reaction when I said, you need to find a church. He looked at me like I had like three eyes or something. Are you crazy to say that to me? And I think that people, they just don't understand how important it is. And who knows, maybe he'll show up at some church. Maybe it'll be this one. I don't know. But I can see where Peter's going with this. Peter is saying that we're strangers in a strange land. Why? We're citizens of America, aren't we? No. If you're born again and you love Jesus Christ, you're a citizen of heaven. And Christ is your king, wonderfully. Well, we see here that Peter, he's even referring to those that he's writing as strangers. We are an anomaly. We're a deviation from the norm. We see in 1 Peter that there's the, the, the use of the word strange as being amongst the heathen Gentiles, thought it was strange when Christian abstained from sins and riotous behavior. That was one of the way Paul really set the message when he went into every town. Does anybody know what Paul did the first time he went into a new town on all of his missionary journeys? What's the first thing he did every single time? Dave? Yeah. Yeah. He went right into the synagogue and went right to the Jews. He went right into witness to the Jews because they were the ones that hated Christ the most, and he went right into them. So this last time, and we're studying Paul actually more consistently. Uh, we've been studying, I'm just taking a break for a few weeks, but we've been studying Paul's second missionary journey. He goes in to the Jews, into the synagogue, in Corinth, pours his heart out because... Silas and Timothy show up out of nowhere, and it said that he was pressed in his heart to, sp- to give the gospel. He goes into the synagogue, and what happens? They mocked him, and they blasphemed him. And he winds up shaking the dust off of his garment, and he winds up going to Justice's house, and he starts preaching in this little house right after that. But what he does is he goes in, and he preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when he goes in and he does that, people were blaspheming him. The Jews are blaspheming him. But then there were the Gentiles, and the first thing he would do is go to the Jews, and when they wouldn't listen, and he shakes his cloak off, he goes right to the Gentiles. And all of us here, no doubt, are mostly Gentiles, and we need to be going, phew. (laughs) Thank the Lord Paul went after the Gentiles, and that the Lord wanted us grafted into that vine. Thank the Lord. Well, here Peter is also talking and going after the Gentiles, and he does preach to them. But the thing that really befuddled them about Paul and about Peter was they didn't come in with, with promoting sin, with riotous behavior. Remember the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that's all they used was riotous behavior. They loved starting riots in the streets. That's how they went after Paul and Silas and Timothy. And they went after they brought them in and they beat them and they took them down into the, into the jails and they started martyring them. They used riots. And the Christians didn't do that. They used peace and patience and love and they preached the gospel of Jesus Christ with confidence, patience, and love. That's what they did. And we see the word strange. And when you became a Christian, didn't you become peculiar to your old friends and unsaved family? Today we're thought of as being accused of being, have you ever heard some of these terms? Jesus freaks, judgmental, crazy Christians, the frozen chosen, legalistic, funny mentalists. Have you ever heard of these? 
What does the word strange mean anyway? Extraneous, foreign, alien, not native to or naturally belonging in a place. You know, I think there's a lot of people right now in our government that don't want Christians to belong. You can see all the riots over this. The Supreme Court stood up and they held their ground and they overturned, they overturned this bill and a lot of people came out and they were not happy about it. Well, if you think about this, you have to look at Christ. Christ was anomalytical to this world. This describes the man of sorrows who was acquainted with grief back in Isaiah 53. Our sovereign Lord and Savior, He is the ultimate stranger who even His own received Him not. John 1, 10 and 11, He came into the world and even His own received Him not. Isaiah 53, 3, We hid as it were our faces from Him. Matthew 26, 43, I was a stranger and you took me not in. And Christ identifies with the unbelievers. He identified with those unbelievers that he was going to witness to. The ones that were strangers. He identified with their persona. The ones that he went to to save and to love. Who were some of them? Think about the woman at the well. What an anomaly there. If you read that story, what's so important about the story of the woman at the well, all the other women went to the well. It's about 6 o'clock in the morning when it was cool out. She would go in the heat of the day to stay away from everybody because of the way they regarded her. And that's when Christ met her at the well at high noon when it was the hottest it was. And look, look how he treated her. Well, this takes us to the central motif of 1 Peter 4, 12-19, and that's suffering. And these verses can be broken down into four applications or attitude that Peter teaches us that we should have regarding suffering. And I think these are very important. When it comes to suffering for the cause of Christ, there are many ways that we can suffer. Seeing other people suffering, when we witness and maybe we're rejected, and maybe that there's you know, hard feelings. Well, there's four, I think, four very ap- important applications here. I think, number one, we are to expect it. That's number one. Number two, we are to rejoice in it. Number three, evaluate its cause. And number four, entrust it to God. I think those are four very good applications of what Peter's trying to get across here. We should expect it, rejoice in it, evaluate its cause, and entrust it to God. Christ suffered on earth because he was a stranger in the world. He was strange to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Gentiles, and even many times, sadly, to his own disciples. He was. Remember when they all fled? He goes to the cross. He goes and he gets taken into the kangaroo courts of Caiaphas and Annas. And and they all flee. Peter denies him. The Christian who is persecuted for his faith is a partner in the same kind of suffering that Jesus endured. Suffering for doing what is right. Can someone look up Matthew chapter 5 and read verses 10 to 12? Matthew 5, 10 to 12. You get discouraged. Always go back to this. I think this is a very wonderful encouragement the Lord leaves with us. Thank you, Matthew. 
Isn't it amazing how the Lord always brought up the prophets and He goes back to the Old Testament? Well, what's the sentiment of today? The Old Testament has been abrogated and it's outdated, it's ancient, and it shouldn't even be considered anymore. Well, if you look at the words of Christ, that's all He ever did was go back to the Old Testament. Many times He said, don't forget about the prophets. Don't forget about how they were really beaten down hard. And if you think you're any better than them, you're not, and it's going to happen. But not under my administration. Christ said it wouldn't happen until I go back to be on the right hand of God. And they followed Him and He protected them. But He said... He told them that, that trouble's coming. Galatians 6.17 says, From henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Philippians 1.29, For unto you is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. We are to understand that when we suffer, it's not that we are contributing to Christ's finished work of atonement, but that we experience similar mistreatment because we are identified with Him. We are suffering with Him. We, we, we love Him and we suffer with Him. When we are called to suffer, we now have a new vocation to endure it as partakers of the suffering of Christ for the glory of God. That's why it's very, very important for us to stay close to Christ because none of us can say right here, and I think I can, well, I can personally attest to a lot of what's going on here. In this church here alone, Wednesday nights, I know the prayer requests, and I know that there are people suffering, and I know that our encouragement here on the Wednesday night prayer meeting is to encourage each other, because when we suffer hard enough that it beats us down, that we have absolutely no, no way to rise above that, it's hard for us to be a testimony to other people. And I know it can be difficult. It can be very, very difficult. But Christ will be there with us. I was talking to Pastor Mark Evans a couple weeks. Wonderful talk. He and I just, we just, just, I just love talking to him. We were talking about the, he had to preach a funeral. And when I say he had to preach it, it was hard for him to do that. It was a lady who's a good friend of the family. And I think we did talk about this, but I'd like to mention it one more time. 51 years old, about a month ago, she started, she was fine. She was fine. She got up, did everything. You know, get up, have your breakfast, go out, do your work, take care of the kids, got kids. All of a sudden, she started feeling weird. Out of nowhere, she just started feeling weird. She goes to the doctor, and he tells her, you got 10 days to get your affairs together because you're going to be dead in 10 days. She died in 10 days. She had, she had this horrible acute leukemia, and she had a blood clot, and it took her. And her daughter was 16 years old. The family told her, you need to be ready. Ten days, you're going to be gone. And she was right there. And Pastor Evans, he preached that funeral, and he said he, he really put a lot of emphasis on Psalm 23, where it says, the Lord is whose shepherd? Whose shepherd? It doesn't say the Lord is the shepherd, the Lord is a shepherd, or anything like that. Or perhaps the Lord is a shepherd. It says the Lord is my shepherd. There is your encouragement through the hardest times you're ever going to face. And we're all not, we are all not immune from having very, very hard times. The Lord is my shepherd. And that's what we were talking about. And he said, he expounded on that. The first part of that funeral said, the Lord is my shepherd. That was his comfort for them. Pastor. Right. 
That's right. And Jeremiah 23.1, Woe be unto the shepherds that scatter the flock. And uh, that's very important. Pastor Olson's right. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Because of His grace, we want Him. We always remember that. Not on our own. It's because of His grace. Here, Peter draws us the assessment of the cause of sufferings. It's a testing time. He says it's a testing time, but it's only temporary. He moves us to evaluate our lives as Christians, to stay away from sin. Suffering and hardship of the strange and peculiar Christian on this earth is far better than suffering of the ungodly. We don't want to be caught up, Peter says. We don't want to be suffering with all these issues and then having all these sins around us that we're, that we're in the middle of. So he leaves us with, he has us a stern awakening question. If God purifies the church by purging it and strength, strengthening it by only saving a faithful number of elect, if he takes the time to test us and allows us to go through these fiery trials for his sake on this earth, what is he going to do to the ungodly? And we can see in Psalm 2, with all those around us, our job is to bring those, when we walk out of this door, the end of the driveway, that is the beginning of our mission field. And sometimes it's not at the end of the driveway. Sometimes it's even amongst the church. Our job is to remember that there are those that are going to be out there that if they don't come to the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're going to burn in hell. That is the end result. And it's our job to warn them. And it's our job, even if we suffer for it, it's a job that Christ has given us to do. Psalm 2 says, The heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against His anointed. And it goes down to verse 9, Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And the day is coming. Peter says their day is coming. We are to commit the keeping of our souls to Him in well-doing. Commit is, is like a banking term. That means to deposit for safekeeping. We are to commit it to the Lord. We are to deposit our lives in the hands of the Lord and have Him keep us. Have it, there's no better safekeeping we can have than to have our lives in the hands of the Lord. Peter shows us that we commit our lives to God. We are giving back to God what He has already created. Even in suffering... We are not to grow weary in well-doing. Galatians chapter 6, 9, we read, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Well, yeah, I think it's interesting in Job chapter 1, verse 1. What does it say in Job 1, 1? There was a man in the land of Uz, his name was Job, and he eschewed evil. Evil is all around us. Look at what's going on right now. Look at what, what's this month called. You see rainbows everywhere. It's not about Noah's Ark. You see all these things going on. Evil's everywhere. Job eschewed evil. It meant he detested it. And the thing that he hated the most, which is what his wife wanted him to do, and those around him, curse God and get it over with, he would not curse God. He would honor and worship the Lord. And I think that's very important. Paul says in Romans 12, abhor that which is evil, cleave, embrace it. Cleave to that which is good. Right? Well, we see that God knows our needs. And we see that no matter what the trials are that we face, He will take care of us. He promises that. 
2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Can someone look that up and read that, please? 2 Timothy 1, 12. Then we see how, towards verse 19, Peter refers to God as a faithful creator. We'll look at that here in a second. But 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Thank you, Noah. He says, I am not ashamed. I think it's easy to be ashamed. I think the disciples went through that. I think it's easy to find as times when around certain people, that's a little harder to bring up the name of Jesus Christ than maybe other times. And that's something we need to pray about. But Peter refers to God as a faithful creator. What a lovely comparison. Peter points out through his epistles that we are to be faithful to him. He is always faithful to us, even though we're not always faithful to him. And that is our ultimate comfort. Peter gives us a lesson this morning that there is suffering. And he knew it. Peter suffered. And he would suffer even greater after Christ would go back. He loved Christ. And it was a hard thing for him to imagine for his friend to be gone. Later on, the account of his martyrdom is pretty, pretty drastic. It was a very hard road that he faced. But I have some questions here to close out with. Well, number one, how are we to handle various trials? How should we try to handle various trials if we're suffering in different areas of our lives? Well, let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. How are we to handle various trials? We are to rejoice, for they are temporary. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. When we are under unjust or unsaved authority, maybe at the workplace or at school or whatever, how should we react? Well, we can go forward to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 for that answer. 1 Peter 2, 21, we, do, we silence evil men by doing good and we follow the example of Christ. For even hereunto were ye called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. We walk in the steps of our Lord Jesus Christ. What if we are suffering for doing what is right? I think that's a good question. What if we suffer for doing what is right? Chapter 3, verse 15. The answer there is to be ready to give a testimony of your faith. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Meekness and fear. I think we, gotta, we have to really, as Christians, watch the sarcasm and watch the anger. We've got to be very careful with that when we reply when there are those out there that are they're looking for answers. I've learned this when it comes to people and they get on the subject of Christ. They just believe, basically, many people believe he's just one of many other religions. That's why I'm not a big fan of the word religion. I don't like to call myself a religious person. Religion is, can be very general. You know, we, we don't, we, we're not hedging our bets on heaven with religion. We are trusting in Jesus Christ for the only way, to, only way to salvation in heaven, and that is Christ is the only way. And that is fact. That's not, that's not a generalization. Here's a big question. What if we come under religious persecution? And that can happen. Chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, the answer here is, 
What if we come under religious persecution? Peter encourages us to be partakers in Christ's sufferings. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you on their part. He is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. We see a, a real, uh, we, we see here a real antithesis back and forth here. To most, he is evil spoken of, and that is true. But on our part, he's glorified. And here's the last question. What if we are suffering from the attacks of Satan? What if we have satanic attacks in our lives? And we look at chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. And let's read them and we'll finish. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. That's what is so important about prayer. We need to bear one another's burdens and pray for each other and lift each other up. Because when we're going through hard times, just remember, other people are too. And one of our jobs, when we're called to suffer, suffering is a vocation. As a Christian, it's a way of using what you're suffering through to lift up others and to encourage them. So that's uh, the lesson we have today. And let's finish. And I'll ask uh, Jacob, could you close us this morning? Thank you.